0: Hey friends! Thanks for joining us for another exponential webcast. I'm Sean Cronin, one of your hosts today. Patrick Bradley is my other host. Patrick, how
1: are you? I'm doing well. It's a good day to be uh, to be serving Jesus in His church and love talking about church planting stuff and making it really practical.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So we get to host the Exponential Nuts and Bolts of Church Planting webcast every other week, Thursdays, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So we're back with another episode. And today we're going to be focused on, you know, casting a clear vision that's going to help you create momentum in a a church plant specifically. Uh, But you can apply this to a, you know, an established church as well. And to help us with this, we've got our friend, Um, Andrew Estes, who works with Nexus Church Planting and Leader Care, and he's also has a, uh, you know, an own kind of a side gig, but something he's very passionate about and consulting churches with this called the Clarity Project. Um, You know, he does it because he's got a a, a heart to help leaders gain clarity on what God's calling them to do and to be able to share that vision with others. All right. So they can lead more effectively. Um, So, Andrew, welcome to the webcast. How are you today?
2: I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much. Humble to be here.
0: Cool. Yeah. Well, we're great that you accepted our invitation to be able to share with church planters, church leaders about this topic. I I know for me, um, you know, having a vision to start a church, um, that was one thing. I had it in my head and had other, a few other people like on board, but, you know, there was a point where we're like, okay, what do we do next? What do we do next? And then clearly like, how do we get this vision out of our head and kind of Infect other people with it. And that was a whole nother journey. And so today we want to talk about that. How do we infect other people with this vision? But, well, before we get there, I want to, I want to kind of get to know Andrew a little bit, have our guests, we get to know Andrew a little bit. So Andrew, tell us a little about who you are, you know, what you do, what's your background with church planting?
2: yeah so i was born and raised in colorado went to school at ozark christian college in joplin missouri with with mr sean cronin here so holler for for the ozark people that's that's awesome um, but yeah, since i graduated from there we've been doing ministry on the front range of colorado i was in highlands ranch uh just south of denver for for almost five years went to woodland park outside of colorado springs for a couple years and met a a guy um, <clears throat> there who felt called to go do church planting uh, and and i followed him I've, I've been in worship ministry all of my ministry career so far that sounds weird ministry career but that's that's pretty much what it's been but um since we since we left woodland park we moved up to loveland colorado in uh 2015 to to plant a church uh, and worked with uh, nexus Uh, church planting and leader care to, to walk through all of that. Um, our, our lead pastor went through their assessment. We went through the training together and, um, yeah, over the last several years have, have gone through that process, but all through that, um, I married a beautiful wife. Uh, We went to school together. Uh, I got married in 2008, right after we graduated and right before we moved to Colorado. Uh, I have three wonderful children. Uh, My daughter, uh, Selah, is nine. My son, Judah, is almost six and i have a son elijah who's uh, about one and a half right now so good uh good homeschool names if you didn't think we were homeschoolers we, we are homeschoolers <laughs> even even before covid we were homeschoolers so <laughs> no it's been uh, it's been good man yeah nice awesome homeschool i didn't i never really thought about it that
0: way but yeah i, I always think about like you know old testament names prophet names okay yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know they've got some connection with Jesus. Right. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. If you got a Josiah or a Hezekiah in your family, you're probably a homeschooler. Like that's, you know, so we have Selah, Judah and Elijah and yeah. So,
1: or if your firstborn is named Selah, then you're probably a worship leader. Yeah,
2: Yeah. That's, that's kind of a given as well. So nice. All right, Andrew. So, um,
0: you know, today we're talking about vision. Um, and you know, as a, as a, is a church planter um, that is, you know, uh, something that's critical to be able to have, but not just to have for yourself, but to be able to share it. You know, vision is a gift um, that you get to share with other people. You know, I I, I love the quote. Um, I, I think Helen Keller said it. She said, "You know, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision." Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I know of uh, you know a lot of young adults. I get to work with a lot of young adults, um, in my church. And a lot of times they kind of sometimes lack vision for, you know, what they want to do in their life. And I know of a lot of churches that almost kind of kind of fit that same description. They like exist, but they're just trying to keep their doors open. They're not exactly under, you know, clear about where God is taking them and it's, it's hard for them to, to build momentum. Um, and, uh, well, first, before we go any further, if you're joining us and you have any questions, I just want you to know, we want to make this interactive. And so as we say things, and maybe we say something you don't understand, if you have questions, please feel free to put a question in the, the chat. And, uh, we'd love to be able to answer some of your questions today as well. Um, but, but Andrew, so, you know, you've given, um, so much of your time and your attention. You've gone through a lot of trainings. you are helping church planters with understanding their vision, articulate it. Why are you so passionate? about helping churches and church leaders discern and articulate their vision.
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely been something that's grown uh in my heart and and in ministry. I think early on when I was when I was in college, you know, taking courses like at a, at a Christian college on leadership and and things of that nature, it was always something that just seemed a little abstract to me, a little like ethereal and I was like, "Oh, well, when we get there, we'll we'll talk about it," you know. Um but I my, I remember my first ministry in uh in the Denver area and was part of a a church with a very visionary leader like just forward thinking like what's next all the time and it was just something that i um i didn't get a whole lot but uh we he was making decisions or our leadership was making decisions based on vision and investing in different missionaries based on that vision and then i ended up leaving there and going to a a a different church and it was a little bit um a struggle because it was only about two months in that i realized that we just had some words on the wall and really no direction like we were just staying busy like doing church every seven days and there wasn't any grand plan there wasn't any big kingdom impact that we were moving towards it was just taking care of the people that were there which is still uh, a great calling but it was missing something and uh, when we went through the process of planting a church I got introduced to Will Mancini's material uh, with the, the vision frame, something that Nexus had been using for years, and that a lot of church planting organizations that I've come to find out, um, almost mo- mostly all of the ones that I've interacted with so far over the last several years, in some form or fashion, use Will Mancini's material to train their church planters, uh, which is great. You know, it's excellent material. Um, and so, it just, it just kind of Made some light bulbs kind of come on in my head of like, wow, like we've had all these language, these words like mission and vision and language and uh, strategy, um, vision and you know how do you, how do they all play together nicely, you know? And it just gets jumbled, it gets confusing. I mean, you yes, ask ten different leaders how to define vision, you probably get ten slightly different answers. And so uh, the vision frame really gave me a place to just hang that language and it just kind of made sense. Kind of moving forward from that, when we launched our church in 2016, we kind of made the cardinal mistake of of church planters, where it was just um, our whole vision was about launching Revive Christian Church. It was about launching our church, and then it happened. We had our grand opening, and then people came, and I was like, "Oh, like, well, we did it. Like, now what? <laughs> like, what's next?" And I kept, you know, bugging our lead pastor about it, and. Uh, we didn't really have anything beyond like we wanted to start a life-giving like multiplying church but we didn't have any plan or process or clear steps in our vision to get there and so that kind of sent me searching and that's when I came across the uh, the God dreams material because that was right about the time we launched our church in 2016 and I think God dreams uh, will Mancini's kind of updated version of the vision frame came out in 2016 and since then man i've I've kind of been all in so I I, I did the God dreams. Um, training. I've done the Church Unique training, and I've ended up being able to be blessed and bring a lot of that material back to our church planters at Nexus and even beyond that through some of the consulting that I do. Uh, but it's just it's just one of those things that uh, I'd always kind of been passionate about, but never had language to and uh, just clear training and clear processes to to really drive towards. And so now that I've been been using some of this material and training others in some of this material, I get a a front row seat to help them craft a more clear and compelling vision for their church and ministry.
0: Mm. Yeah, wow. I yeah. I could so relate to the idea of, you know, you have this vision to start a church and you have a vague vision and, and maybe your vision is short, short sighted, delete that. That was mine. You know, I had this vision of starting a church and we worked hard to launching this church and then we launched it and it was, yeah, well, what's next? Now what? <laughs> and it was like this like postpartum depression almost like, okay, we we've, we've spent nine months, we've spent, you know, a year getting ready for the baby, the baby's here and boom like all of a sudden you're hit this re- with this reality and then but yeah you sometimes lack that clear
2: vision of what's next and yeah. where are we headed um you know, it's and, funny because uh, we sorry we, we launched in 2016 and our lead pastor is a huge cubs fan mm-hmm. um but like the whole cubs thing was like I, we're gonna win the world series one day and then i had a friend of mine who's a cubs fan and then they won the world series and then the next day he's like well now what do i do i've always been like the lovable losers but What's next, like <laughs> so, wow. identity crisis? Right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I would love to lean in and get really practical, Andrew. Uh, most of our audience is their church leaders, uh, church planters, or even prospective church planters. Like, what's step one? Where do you even begin? Um, figuring all this vision stuff out and making it really concrete.
2: Yeah. So part of part of what Nexus does is is in our assessment process. Um, really going through, uh, just interviewing and getting to know the leader, uh, because that's, that's where, where vision truly starts. Like even, even before we get into our training and stuff like that, like, uh, one of the things that, um, is said in, in, church unique is that vision starts with investigation, not imitation, and so before you start copy and pasting other people's vision, you really have to understand your own heart, your own ministry, especially as a church planter and your spouse. And what do, what do you guys do well? Like, where do you excel? What type of a church do you um, do you want to, uh, to launch? And, and really starting in that process. And so it really begins in those front end conversations of like, you know, who are you? What have you been in ministry? What have you done? Like just getting to know people and then going through the assessment process, which is, you know, if you're part of church planting assessment, that's a grind for sure. But then coming out of that, we go into our actual training and, um, the, the whole church unique heart, Heartbeat, and, and I believe this is, the, you know, Will Mancini would even say this is that that idea of that visioning crafting was an idea that came out of like the the mega church explosion. I mean, it was early 2000s when there was just all these massive conferences, you know, the Willow Creek, the pur- Purpose Driven Church, like all these different big name things You just copy and paste our model into your thing and it'll work. Uh, Mancini's heart was really just trying to discover, like, what is it about you? that makes you unique, about your leadership, about your local context, about your passions and abilities that God has brought together in your church how do you leverage that to move forward? And so it's just really coming to an understanding of trying to do that for a church planting context. It's a little hit or miss because guys are are coming in either just as a couple, or maybe they have a couple of you know house church or like discipleship group people, or maybe they have a launch team already of 40, 50, 60 plus people, uh, and they're going through all this process. Um, but it really just, it, it is that mindset of that. It starts with investigation, not imitation. And so trying to understand yourself, your own leadership and moving forward from there. Cool. Yeah. That's and so, rich. yeah, you start,
0: so you start with the individual, you start with yourself. You know, one thing we say, hopefully we'll say this over and over again during our webinar, we talk about the number one competency for a church planter is the ability to hear God's voice. You can be able to hear God's voice. And so, you know, in those moments when you're get, trying to gain clarity about, okay, God, How have you crafted? Who have you created me to be? What's unique vision um, that you've given to me and my unique gifts and leadership styles? Um, And so, yeah, being able to, you know, hear God, you know, say, you know, this is what I've created you for. And yes, it is unique, maybe different from, you know, the leader, maybe at a church down the street. Um, and so, yeah, it's based on the individual. And then, so after you get, you know, some clarity about you specifically, what would be some other things that you should investigate, I guess, uh, to gain more clarity on, okay, the vision for this church?
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, the first one is just your local context. Like what is your, uh, you know, the church unique language is your local predicament um, with the, the the kingdom concept um, tool that, that Mancini develops in that book, but, um, really just understanding your place. Like, what is it about your city, about the place, the region that you're going to, that is different than anywhere else? Like there are, there are specific needs there. There are specific hurts there. There are, there's a history there. Uh, there could be, you know, spiritual strongholds there, you know, depending on how you, how you kind of view things. And it's very intuitive. Uh, obviously you can do a ton of research and, and get your, um, you know, all the data from, from big data companies like a, um, oh goodness, like glue or Barna or wherever uh, that you can learn really about a lot of that stuff and just learn about the makeup of your people, about the income of your people, about the the denominational background and all those different types of things, but just truly being a student of your community and understanding where has this community been, where is it going and moving forward from there. So that's honestly, that's really step one is just really having a clear vision and clear understanding of Mm -hmm where it is that you're planning a church. Mm -hmm.
1: If you viewers missed our last nuts and bolts episode, we spent a whole hour on uh, context, demographics, how to learn your community kind of stuff. So I encourage you to go back and check that out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, we talked about targeting contextualization, you know, what's your context. Um, And so, you know, the kingdom concept, you mentioned the kingdom concept, and I know in the kingdom concept, there's another circle. um, You know, I think it's apostolic or, um, so yeah. basically, you know. Well, I'll let you explain
2: the third circle. Sure, man. Yeah. So there's uh, there's local predicament, which is understanding your your context. Uh, there's there's and there's two other ones. So there's collective potential, and that's really just being a student of of who God has brought together in your, in your body of believers. So, um, typically after you, after you kind of launch, like as you, as you look at your even launch team pre-launch, as you look at your church makeup, you know, six months to a year or even two years in, and you know, as, as church planters that, it rolls over a little bit, it, it turns over. And so you just have to understand, like, who are the people that are, are sticking to uh, to our community and what what do they look like? What are what are the unique abilities? What are the unique makeup of our people? You know, I was working with one church where they had just like it, it seemed like over half of their church was in the medical field of some sort you know, and that's very unique to their context. Like not every church has that makeup. Well, how can you leverage something like that to be able to bless your community and, you know, uh, and understanding, you know, there's other places um, I'm thinking of like in an in a Illinois context back when like, you know, state farm insurance, like there's a huge area right there where most of the people in their church worked for state farm. You could be in Northwest uh, Arkansas where, um, that's Walmart country. So you either work for Walmart or a conglomerate of of Walmart, and, and you know just how do you how do you leverage these unique makeups of the people of your church um, to be able to move forward? And then the the third circle is the apostolic esprit, like you were talking about. So esprit is you know just one of those technical things. That's that's a dead giveaway that uh, Will Mancini's an engineer. Uh, so apostolic esprit is just this idea of what is your collective passion as a leadership team. So as you're looking at your your lead pastor and your staff and your elders, as you, as you as a team kind of come together, a lot of times you're drawn together in a team setting based on similar and shared passions. But sometimes we don't understand that and don't name that for what it is. And so you can't really leverage that to be able to move forward. So as you look at your at your kingdom concept, which is that Venn diagram in Church Unique, your local predicament, your context, your collective potential, kind of your abilities and the people that that God has brought to you, and your apostolic esprit, which is your passions uh for ministry and and just moving forward. As you, as you consider all of those things, what is the overlap and how does that actually influence how you craft a vision moving forward? So that's a lot of the investigative work at a, at a much deeper level that a, a church team would go through. Right. So in the, in the early stages of a church plant, the,
1: the, some of those circles will be somewhat aspirational. Uh, like the collective potential. Maybe, maybe it's just the church planting a couple in the early days. Um, yeah. But even the apostolic espree, if they don't have a, a team of leaders yet, it's, it's largely where we started. It's like, what's the church planters uh, heart, passion, vision?
2: Yeah, absolutely no, and it's that's that's been one thing that's been really interesting for me in my context of of doing that. I've been kind of a student of the the vision frame for a while, and so I've actually gone through the uh, if anybody's familiar with the unique process, the YO unique process, which is actually using a lot of the vision frame tools for your own heart to understand your own uh, clear sense of mission and values and passions and abilities and all those different types of things, and then trying to move into how can God best. To use me? How do I make disciples? So I've actually pulled some tools from the unique process in our church planting training and brought them into this investigative piece of, um, you know, the vision framing for their church as a whole, because like you're saying, uh, Patrick, so it, it starts with just the leader. And, and sometimes it is just that they don't have a team yet or something like that. And so you're really just digging deep into their heart, into their ministry and their background to try and bring forward and move into, uh, planning their, their vision for their church. Cool.
0: Well, if you're just joining us, we want to welcome you. All right. We're having a conversation with Andrew Estes about casting vision, about discerning it, articulating it. Um, so you can lead effectively and build momentum in a church plant or even an existing church. I uh, want to welcome you and, and feel free to ask questions along the way. So as we keep rolling, um, Andy, or Andrew, sorry. Um, for we've talked about the kingdom concept and you know doing this investigation work. So after you've done this investigation work, you've kind of learned about you know your community, the needs of it, the assets of it. You learned about how God's kind of uniquely wired you and maybe the team around you. What are some steps, or what what are some things that you do then to help a church planter then kind of articulate the language? Um, of that vision, to put it into words so they can communicate it effectively.
2: Yeah, so the the, the vision frame itself is kind of is, is actual, I mean if you're not familiar with it, you just picture an actual vision frame um, where one side is is mission. That kind of answers the question, what are we doing? Uh, the other side is values, which really kind of characterize everything that you do. that's that's answering the why. Why do we do what we do? On the bottom side of the frame is is your strategy. Uh, and now, especially in the COVID season, a lot of our strategies have, have really kind of uh, had to shift. Um, that's kind of like, I like that Andy Stanley quote where you marry your mission, but you date your model. In the vision frame language, your model would be kind of your strategy. And so understanding how do we actually accomplish our mission uh, at the broadest level and, and understanding how we do that. So that's, that's how we do what we do. And then at the top of the vision frame, you can kind of see that at the top is is even the scoreboard of when do we know we're successful? Like, what is what does success actually look like in church leadership? It's not actually just getting people to attend our events, and we have a lot of lip service to this. so it's not getting people to show up on Sundays or attend our small groups. It's actually life changed, where we want to see the heart of the believer changed in their lives and their families, um, just transformed by the power of the gospel as we move forward. So, how do you measure that? I remember. Um, um, uh, a while ago I was looking at the the real life discipleship stuff with uh, Jim Putman um, in, in Boise, Idaho and so I, I I think it's Boise somewhere in Idaho. Um, but a lot of what some of the consulting that he offers was saying uh, one of his observations was most churches don't have a clear definition of what a disciple actually is. And it seems like a very fundamental, elemental piece of what doing church should look like, but we don't have a clear identity and clear set Vision for for what success actually looks like in our churches, and when you don't have that, any number of things can kind of take place. of Of what that is, that's when you start seeing attendance at church or attendance at groups uh, being success. When you don't have a clear understanding of what that is, so identifying what that is. So your mission, values, strategy, measures, and then the picture in the middle is really um, the the God dreams material where you're where you're headed. Like where is God taking us as a leadership team? Where do we feel like God is leading us over the next three, five? 10, however many years as a leadership team. And so to be able to move from your kingdom concept, sorry, I'll I'll get to your question, (laughs) to be able to move from your kingdom concept to getting to the place where you're articulating a lot of that stuff is you're just understanding who you are, where you are, the passions that you have. And all of that really influences tremendously the, the language that you craft To be able to get people to connect to something much deeper than just showing up to church on Sunday. And so I think that that's that's actually a lot of where um, that that transition I believe is is a lot of where Will Mancini's next work, where he's talking about the the future church company uh, or future church book, if you guys are familiar with that, uh, that's really where he's moving in a lot of that sense. Is that there's there's some fundamental presuppositions that we go into when we're when we're crafting this language. Like, why do we even need that? Why do we even need shared language? What is what is wrong with just using the great commission or the great commandment is just our link like this is what we do right like we don't need anything more than that but there's there's presuppositions that kind of feed into that and so you just need to be mindful of this visionary language that you craft is is creating a culture in in your in your leadership in the hearts of your people and in your local context to move people to a, a different level of of buy-in a different level of commitment it's crafting a vivid vision for what your church is who your church is and where you're going as a leadership team so sorry that was kind of a long answer but i i feel like that was good (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. so you talked about the vision frame and, and
0: um in case you're wondering, okay, we're gonna we can talk a little bit about the vision frame and but we've got Will Mancini, he's gonna come and talk with us on a nuts and bolts webinar April 22nd. And he's gonna talk about that that centerpiece, the vision proper, horizon storyline, that tool. But you know, for today, let's talk a little bit about that you know stuff on the outside, the frame. So you mentioned um, the mission, yeah, um, and Andy Stanley saying you know be married to your mission. So you, you kind of mentioned it, but why complicate? You know this and why not just have a mission statement of our church exists to make disciples of jesus like why complicate it why, why make it more complicated than that
2: right no and it's not um I, I i don't think that we need to necessarily change what that is i mean there's no there's no sense in change like we know what our mission is like our our lord and savior has given it. this is the mission of the church i think when we're talking about in a vision frame context you're, you're trying to contextualize what that mission looks like in your area. So, we, we all exist. Every church everywhere exists to bring glory to the Father for who He is, for what He's done, to worship Him, to make believers of, of all nations. I mean, this back in Genesis 12, I mean, this is the promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic blessing of go and be a blessing to the nations so that they will worship me. Like, it's, it's bringing glory to the Father. And we also exist to make disciples of all nations to, to love God and love others. Yes. But to make disciples of all nations. And so that's the the mission of the capital C church. And I don't think that any individual church is going to accomplish that mission in and of themselves. So in your, Mm -hmm. in your own local context, what is, what does the mission look like for you guys? Like, what is, what does that look like in your heart, in your ministry, in your local community? How do you contextualize that? I kind of see, I use this analogy as, you know, we share like 98 some percent of DNA with every other person on earth and and we really have that 2% to really articulate and become who who God's kind of uniquely crafted us to be and and, and living in that. I kind of mm-hmm. see that as very similar in a in a church context. So if you are a Bible believing Jesus following church, 98% of our DNA is all about bringing glory to the Father, making disciples and loving others so that they will worship him, right? It's kind of that 2% of just kind of understanding like, okay, well, what makes us uniquely different as a church? How do we articulate that? How do we come alongside that? And underneath the banner of go and make disciples of all nations, how do we uniquely do that? You know, what's our 2% look like and what's the language that we craft around that? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super helpful. Two, that's
1: cre- I never heard that before, the 2%. And that's where like everybody has a different fingerprint. Completely unique, and that's just a sliver of the two percent difference.
2: Right, right. Yeah,
0: Andy, can you can you talk about um, you know specifically with mission statement? Um, what are some you know principles, I guess, or what are some things that you offer to a church planter when they're trying to come up with a mission statement? Like, what are some characteristics of a that you would say maybe an infectious vision statement?
2: Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's great. I think it's, it's, it's birthed. It's still birthed out of investigation. Like it's, it's true to the, the content that you've created in the, in the kingdom concept. So that's primary, uh, is, is, is what that is. And so it's, it's coming out of it's articulating and it's true to who you are. It stays true to the, to the the great commission as a whole, obviously, I think that that's, you know, can be a given, but it just needs to be said that this. Your, your church still does this. It's kind of like, how, how do you uniquely do this? I think, um, uh, there's a couple of problems and I don't have them all in front of me, but one of them is just, uh, mission statements just tend to get too long, like just at a practical, uber practical level. Like they're, they're just, you know, 20, 30 words. I mean, I always use an example of like, you know, you walk into a hospital, like, like maybe an old hospital and you have this, Gaudy mission statement plastered on the wall in these really pretty letters, and you look at it, and it takes you like twenty minutes to read through it. <laughs> and it's just like nobody knows this. Nobody could actually recite this. Like nobody working at the front desk, not even the doctors on staff, could know what this is. I mean, they might get a general sense of it, but it's just too long. It just doesn't live in your heart. It's not. It's not captivating. It's not clear. It's not concise. And so just kind of, you know, just at a practical level, making it, um, making it catchy, making it sticky, coming up with that language that lives in the hearts of, of your people, of your team. It's, it's easily reproducible, um, not just for your leadership team, but for, you know, in the, uh, the church unique context, we talk about the junior high rule. Uh, can a junior high boy like memorize and recite this? Like, is this a simple enough to understand, but powerful enough to move your people? So there's some, some, Is it clear? Is it concise? Is it compelling? Does it make you want to move forward? Is it contextual? Is it still one of those? Are you copy and pasting somebody else's or is it unique to what you're doing? Is it catalytic? Does it incite action in your people? And then, you know, if it's all those things, clear, concise, compelling, contextual, catalytic, all the C words, that's your alliteration for the day. Um, It then becomes (laughs) contagious for your, your church ministry to be able to move forward and what that is. So super practical, make it short, make it concise, make it sticky, make it powerful. And that's not easy to do. I mean, crafting language is one of those things that's, it. it can be painstaking. I mean, you don't just want to throw something up on the wall just to have a mission statement. You want it to be engaging and, and, and driving people towards sacrifice to be able to live into a greater story. Wow. Yeah. How does, uh,
1: once that mission statement uh, particularly is written out and we're talking about getting into the lives and the hearts of people, like how do you as, as a leader or how does a church planner as a leader keep from getting bored with that? Right. Cause 12 months, yeah. 18 months, two years in they got to be like saying it over and over again until they're sick of it and people are just starting to get it. So how do you, yeah. like, how do you keep that for the long run?
2: Yeah, and no, I think that um, one of the things that, uh, that we were encouraged to talk about as, as being trained in the the Church unique process is that even uh, language, even in our culture, shifts so frequently, right? I mean, you. we can give any number of examples, but language and, and our culture changes, and that's really based on the different regions in which we live. Uh, and so even being able to reevaluate from time to time is, is a good thing. Like of, of saying like, you know, of, of re putting it back on the table, opening it up. Like, does, does this say what we need it to say? Does this, uh, does this read the way are these words still relevant today? Uh, and so one of the things I think every, every seven years is one of those things I think that Mancini really kind of recommends is to, to really go through kind of a visioning process every, every six to seven years to really re articulate, reestablish and recommit to the language that you're using to craft the culture that you want in your church. And so, yeah, I mean, like you, like you said, Patrick, like if you're not sick of saying it from stage, uh, the other people aren't, um, aren't getting it. Probably like you have to make yourself annoyed and sick of saying the same thing over and over and over again, because people don't get it. Like they just, you know, hear it once, twice, three times. Then they'll kind of be like, Oh, they'll get familiar with it, but it doesn't live inside their hearts until they've it's been ingrained in them. Like, this is what we do no matter what we do. Like this is what we do. And it's just, it's just over and over and over the repetition of getting that into the hearts of the believers. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. So, you know, as someone, I, I am typically a man of few words. Uh, My grandmother, she nicknamed me silent Sam because I would rather just lead by example, (laughs) rather not lead with my words, but I've kind of learned and been challenged. Like Sean, you got to use your words. Uh, Words are powerful. They're a gift from God. I remember reading the story of the tower of Babel several years ago and then kind of, I had this like thought from God, I don't know, I'm assuming it's from God, like, why did God confuse their language when they are trying to accomplish something, when they're trying to build something, when they're trying to do something together? It's like, well, that would be the perfect way to, to get them disorganized, to get them, you know, going in different directions, you know, to, to confuse their language. Um, and I think that's how sometimes happens in churches is you know, our language can be confused. Um, and so we're all headed to different directions and we're chasing different goals. But when we, when we can have that clear language of this is what we're doing together, you know, I think that's when we can have momentum when we can get people heading in the right direction. Um, you know, I think about Bill Gates, uh, Bill Gates in the late seventies, he had a vision of, you know, we we want to see a computer in every home and on every desk. And it's like, what? Like in the late seventies, I wasn't around back then, but I've heard, you know, computers were huge honking things that took up, you know, half of a room, like only NASA had computers. But with that clear vision, you know, he got a people, a group of people who are ready to commit their life to this mission of seeing a computer at every desk and every home. And they accomplished it. We've got computers everywhere. They're in our pockets, they're on our wrists, they're yeah. everywhere. Um, it was a very compelling vision that people, you know, committed to. And, you know, if you're starting a church, that's what you're asking people to do, is to come along with me and sacrifice your time, your talents, your treasures to accomplish something. And, you know, having language that excites people um, is, is one ingredient that you need. Um, oftentimes, to be able to get people to join you on this. Um, so can, can you share? So I don't know any examples of some mission statements that you're like, man, I, I worked with this church, and they came up with this mission statement. And it's, it's make sense because of maybe this is their context or this is a
2: leader. Can you share any examples? Uh, Yeah, I might need to pull a, pull a couple up. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so several churches that I've, I've worked with and I, you know, as they, as they reestablish all all this, this thought process because a lot of it is just breaking down some of their understanding. What is vision? What does it do? What is it for? All that type of stuff, but just drilling down into that. Um, the other thing that I would say, even before I give you a couple examples, is that um, unique is not synonymous with original. So the mission mm-hmm. statement that you might craft for your church might not have words in it that have never been used by any other church. But at the same time, it's one of those things that... Um, Uh, after going through the investigative process, like if these words truly resonate with the heart that you have inside of you, it's still okay to, to use something that you've heard somewhere else, because I mean, of all the thousands of churches that there are, I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, it'd it'd be really hard to come up with something that's never been heard before as it relates to honoring God and making disciples, right. And following Jesus. Uh, And so just with that caveat, like unique is not always synonymous with original. So with that said, there's a uh, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, so here's a, a, a Baptist church says, uh, inviting everyday people to experience Christ in every way, um, you know, guiding, guiding, self-reliant people, towards a Christ-centered lifestyle. Uh, another one, to invite people into God's larger story as we follow Christ together. So there's, I mean, it's all that that heart of discipleship and following Christ, but it's just contextualized in, in how they say this. Uh, another one would be, you know, we lead common people into uncommon life in Jesus. You know, we call out, uh, here's one that I'm not sure if this is an actual statement or if this is just kind of one of my examples that I've had, uh, calling the Christian-ish to be passionate servants of Christ. You know, and so you, you use some of these language, like how do you, how do you craft like one for, for our church? And this is not uh, one of those things that was unique to us, but it was, uh, well, it is unique to us, but it was not original with us is uh, helping people far from God come to life in Christ of just that, that mindset of that we exist for those outside the church. That's one of the primary purposes of your mission statement is to remind your leaders that you exist for people outside the church to bring in more worshipers of the God that we profess. And so uh, helping helping your people, even just another example of why the, why a mission statement exists is to help remind the church that it exists for more than just inside of itself. So, yeah.
1: and, and listening to those, you can already be for my chair, at least you can already begin to reverse engineer some of the context out of that. Yeah. Like, I love that one about helping the Christian ish, um, like there's some communities and uh, maybe Bible belt kind of, you know, stereotypically where the, where that makes sense, but there's also some communities here in the U S where, you know, less than 2% of the people go to church and that, that wouldn't make sense or, or, work in that context probably.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. And some of those, you know, very concrete. I love, you know, when we think about concrete, sometimes one of the C words we use describing, you know, a mission statement is, is it concrete? Can you, can you kind of see yourself in it? Can you see other people in it? Um, Uh, And, um, you know, Dale Spaulding, who used to be the director of and he used to say, if you took the roof off of our end zone, our sports complex where our church meets, could you see this happening inside of it? Yeah. Um, Could you see it happening in your community? Um, So it's very concrete. Um, And you can see those in a lot of those examples. Um, And and one thing that I saw in those examples is, um, you know, an A to B construct in a way. I know Church Unique sometimes uses this. Can you describe, you know, the A to B exercise that sometimes you do with church plans?
2: Yeah, that really is just the the idea of transformation. I mean, so you take—I'm— uh, I'm, I mean, we even, we even use a, a fun example of like taking, uh, Tommy as a, you know, young kid who's going into little league baseball. Like if we were as a, a baseball, um, little league, like we were going to transform Tommy into maybe like an uncoordinated, um, Maybe even ignorant of the game, like just to just understanding to make him a a, a team player of, of what that is, like an, an educated, skilled team player, you know, just so you're moving them from this state to this state. So that A to B mentality is a good exercise to do in mission crafting to where it's like, what does state A look like? And especially even using your local predicament, what in your context, what does state A look like? The the, the people, the characteristics of the lostness in your community. That's kind of state Christian A ish, yeah. for example. Yeah, it could be the Christian ish for sure. And then you're, you're moving them towards, uh, something a little bit of what, it, even your, your, your understanding of what a disciple looks like. So how do you, uh, how do you move them into, uh, following Jesus and loving others? How do you move them into being a fully committed follower of Christ, you know, and, you know, to even use other, other language from like Willow Creek or whatnot, but I mean, just what is, what does that look like? What is a, a devoted follower of Christ? What is a, a true Christian, a true believer what is how what are what are the characteristics that make that up so that's kind of your, your state b and then as you go to craft your statement you're taking this and moving it to this or even doing it backwards or reverse engineering like patrick said of like you want to create this out of this you know and so you're you're, you're using those those words that, that that kind of a library of language as you're as you're crafting that how do you move from a to b or how do you get to b from a Cool. So, yeah, so
0: I've heard it said that your mission statement, that's what Joe hears,
2: um, right? You know that, that yeah, so, so we always have this little like character we call Joe Grow. Um, and and, and there's, there's little phrases that we talk about how, how does Joe interact with the vision of your church? So, the mission is what Joe hears. Like, this is one of those things, like Patrick was saying, like, you say it over and over and over and over and over again. How does Joe hear the mission statement? And it should be something that's really hard for Joe to miss. I mean, this is like something that's on the, in your, your programs, it's plastered on the walls, it's set from the stage, it's on your website, is one of, the, like, this is what we do as a church. This should be what Joe hears. Your your values um, are are kind of what Joe feels. So when you when you go into a Chick fil A, Chick-fil-A, for example, like you have a sense that they value certain things when you walk into that organization. So what are those things that that you value as a church, and how do you name those? That's what Joe feels. Your values. Your, your strategy is all about where Joe goes. So Joe grow. this is how he's interacting again with your vision frame. This is where Joe goes. Like, do you do Sunday morning worship? Do you do um, midweek Bible studies? Do you have discipleship groups? Do you ask him to serve on a team? Do you have, what are you asking Joe to do? Where does Joe actually go in your context? And then again, the scoreboard at the top is the, the missional measures. That's what Joe becomes. How does that transformation look like? Again, how are we accomplishing our mission that a to B mentality when we see Joe becoming that that B list of, of characteristics that's what Joe becomes and then the the picture in the middle is kind of what Joe sees you're you're painting a picture you're you're giving a travel brochure as it were like in in your church like this is where we're headed over the next three five ten years for for our church and our ministry that's what Joe sees so mission is what Joe hears values what Joe feels strategy where Joe goes uh, the measures are what Joe becomes, and then the vision proper in the middle is uh, what Joe sees. So, yeah,
0: cool. Yeah, you know, something we talk about with church planters is building momentum, and we talk about momentum being, you know, what's the equation for momentum? You know, it's mass times velocity, so it's getting everybody, you know, this mass of people, whatever energy you have, you know, you might only have a few people. Um, but you got to get whoever many people you have heading in the same direction. And as you get them heading in the same direction, investing their time, their energy, their talents in the same direction, that's when you're going to build momentum and having clear language is going to be able to help you get everyone in the same direction because you can say this is where we're going. And I think oftentimes it serves as a filter to say we're not going in that direction. Like you might think that's where we should go, but that's not going to help us get to where we need to go. And so some, a lot of these things serve as a filter to say, Uh, what we can say yes to and what also we need to say no to, at least maybe just for now. Um, And and I know values can oftentimes serve as a really great filter um, for for what you're giving your time and your attention, your money to. So can we just dig in a little bit about values? Um, You know, how do you develop values? How many should you have? Um, Stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Again, I think uh, you kind of go back to those uh, the C's, the five C's. Is it clear, concise, compelling, contextual, catalytic? Uh, just using using those as as filters for what your values actually are and what you communicate. Um, so values, I I I tell, especially in a church planting context, as your team develops. And, you, and if you're in a church planting world, like, you know, that the first 18 months of your church, your leadership team can look drastically different 18 months in, right? I mean, you have, and this is a horrible analogy, but people kind of use it in church planting that you have the scaffolding, like there's the, the leaders on the front end are, are kind of your scaffolding and then they'll eventually go away. And you have what's left is kind of the the building that you've kind of created. And, um, I, I don't necessarily like that analogy, but it, it does ring true. Like when you have leaders that are, are there early on and then the, the leaders that you have to, a year to two in might not be the same ones you started with. And so what I tell my church planters uh, in the vision frame context is I really encourage them to only maybe craft two or three values on the front end based out of your heart and your ministry and allow room for growth as your team kind of grows. And as you, as you develop an eldership, as you develop other leaders, like as you're walking through that, like some of the corporate context of that kingdom concept, the collective potential and the apostolic esprit in particular, that changes drastically within the first year to two of your church. So what other values might come out of that? So a uh, value shortlist. I would say four to six in general for like an established church, but for church planting on the front end, maybe just start with two or three and I'll let a couple, other values emerge out of coming out of that. Um, You know, values really kind of declare your uniqueness. And they they really are just kind of what characterizes everything that you do. They celebrate the uniqueness of what makes up your people. Uh, So I had one team that I've worked with and I've worked with several teams in developing some of this stuff. But this team was like you, you don't stop laughing when you're around this team. Like they're joking with each other. They're having fun with each other. And and every team kind of has some of that camaraderie. But this team was just like at another level, like where they were just having fun all the time. Like anytime I'm around them, I'm, I'm smiling, I'm laughing, I'm joking with them and having all that fun. And so I was just like, this is, this is a unique characteristic of your team. Like every team wants to have fun and enjoy the journey together, but they actually labeled that as one of their values. And uh, as we were going through this process, like just this idea of fun, like just just kind of came out. There's just this characteristic. Now they they labeled that value: enjoy the journey, um, because some of their other values were like give it away, um, which is a generosity mindset that their their culture has. Uh, they have the open the door uh, value which is all about just being real in your context and real relationships. And, um, you know, how we have this idea of, you know, we want to have our house perfect before somebody opens the door and kind of walks in. It's just like, Nope, like open the door to your life for what it is. And that's, that's one of their cultural values. So open the door, give it away and then enjoy the journey was just one of those values, like anything that they do, whether they're serving, whether they're worshiping, whether they're hanging out with friends, whether they're developing disciples, like they are having fun doing it. And so it's just this mentality of of doing that. And so just just being true to who you are. I would say that the one thing that, uh, especially in maybe more conservative churches like Christian churches or churches of Christ or, or, or things like that, even maybe um, more liturgical type of churches, they get into the habit of bringing their doctrinal statements into their values. Like, again, this kind of goes back to that 98% versus the 2% DNA 98% of us are probably going to value the Bible as the word of God, that Jesus is the son of God. Like, and I hope that you guys do believe that, but at the same time, when you're, when you're crafting your culture and you're articulating who you guys uniquely are, You don't have to feel the burden of restating your statement of beliefs because your church probably has one of those somewhere else in different visionary language. When you're talking about crafting values in your culture, talk about your culture. Talking about values
1: being caught versus being taught. I've heard that before, and I don't even know who to give credit to. Uh, Values are caught rather than taught. And how, how does that circle back to like at the beginning of our conversation about investigation
2: yeah, I think that um, I even kind of equate that as to the, the Joe analogy of what Joe feels. Um, uh, you, you can't there, there is a difference between having actual values and aspirational values. And especially early on as a church planter, you kind of have aspirational values of what you want to get to in your church. But when you're starting early on, you might have like one or two actual values and one or two aspirational values of what you want to establish. Um, But yeah, even going back into that investigative work of understanding who you are, what your unique passions are, what your unique context is, what your abilities are as a leadership team, that should heavily influence the things that are caught by your people, the things that people feel in your in your unique context. And so as you understand that a little bit better and articulate that as a value in your culture and celebrate that, those are the things that that really stick with people.
0: All right. So we've got a few more minutes. So if you have any questions, now is the time to, to ask them. Uh, we'll see if we can get time to, to answer those. So, yeah, the values. So just thinking a little bit more about the values. Um, thank you for, in a way, giving us permission um, as church planters, church leaders to realize like we don't have to state those those values that probably every church values. Um, You know, I know it's it's easy to um, kind of, you know, look at a values list and be like, well, we value that, you know, we value the Bible, we value love, we value community, we value mission, we value and it's like, you know, and you end up having a, you know, 10 values, and they're typically pretty, pretty vague, um, not very specific to your context. And so that was good encouragement. Um, Can you get now just quickly to go to the strategy, you know, where Joe goes? um, How do you develop that? What's that all about?
2: Yeah, so strategy is just articulating a, a clear sense of, of what you want people to do in your community. So think of it as assimilation, um, almost as the, you know, the old assimilation funnel. Um, you can kind of think of it in that regards where, and then on the top of the frame is, is kind of the activation funnel, kind of the discipleship funnel that Jesus kind of talks about. And so I'll kind of talk about both of them interchangeably just to distinguish between the two and what they are. Um, your, your strategy is how you accomplish your mission at the broadest level. That's how you do what you do. Now you might offer, you know, like women's studies or, or, um, or, or men's ministry or mission trips or, um, youth ministry or, uh, gosh, any, any number of things, the midweek Bible study, the CBS, the mops, the the, uh, the things for kids, all, all these different things. You might have a thousand different ministries at your church, but your strategy is really like Joe, when Joe comes into your context for the first time, he doesn't need to know this huge menu of what you offer at your church. Like just give him a bite-sized path to follow, a map, as it were, to follow uh, to, to understand that like, you want him to attend Sunday morning worship services. You want him to be a, a part of a, maybe a discipleship group or a, a home group of, so whatever you call that. And you want him to serve on a, a ministry team. Like what are, what are the basic steps that Joe uses to get involved in your community initially? What are those broad level categories of that characterize kind of everything that what you do at your church? And so that's kind of what Joe uh, or where where Joe goes Sunday morning, maybe a group, maybe a discipleship group, um, all these different ideas of where you want Joe to go. And then on the flip side of that, you think of measures as kind of uh, this activation mentality, or or this idea of understanding your purpose as a believer and what your role is and what your life kind of turns into. So so um, strategy is where Joe goes. Measures are what Joe becomes. Strategy about assimilation measures are about activation. Uh, another analogy that I heard from a, a friend of mine who's done some of this leadership training is that when you're say like a, a three-year-old on a playground, if you're if you're a, a, a teacher observing a three-year-old playing on a playground, the venue in which that growth is taking place is the playground. That's kind of the strategy. That's the location where that kid is growing. But there are markers that you kind of look for in, in some kids as they're growing up like a three-year-old should be able to i I don't know and i I think it's a three-year-old should be able to run and kick a ball without falling down right like that's a real basic the place that that's happening is the playground the measure of what's taking place is running and kicking a ball without falling down the place where where spiritual growth kind of takes place in your groups, in your church services, that's where this is happening. But the actual measures, the actual outcomes and the life change is really what you're shooting for. So they can attend your church, but you don't know if they're growing or not just based on attendance, right? If a kid's at a playground, it doesn't automatically mean that they're growing. Does that make sense? Mm
0: -hmm. Wonderful. Awesome.
2: Well, thank you, Andrew.
0: So uh, talking about vision uh, just really excites me. Um, you know, as as it should. I I grew up in in Buffalo, New York, in a city that had a lot of old church buildings, a lot of shut down church buildings, and it reminds me of a quote our friend Sean Lovejoy says. He says that churches don't die because neighborhoods change. Churches die because the vision dies. Um, and I I know of a lot of churches that have shut their doors, and sometimes they blame it on yeah the community change, you know, but it's you know it's so true is that the it's the vision that dies first and that leads to a death of a church and so how do we keep that vision fresh in our minds how do we keep continue to hear God's voice and to be able to articulate that um, to the people that we're leading um, that's really key and so you've offered us several tools today on this webinar um, can you give us some uh, how would how would someone get in contact with you if they wanted to continue this discussion and kind of dive deeper um, into these tools
2: yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Uh, I, I love getting an opportunity to work with other churches. I've uh, led the the God, the two day God dreams retreat for a lot of churches to help them plan. Uh, and that's like what you said that you, Will's going to come in and talk about some of the, the vision proper in the middle. Uh, but leading God dreams retreats, helping guys uh, plan and focus and really do some of this investigative work as, as a coach. I love doing all that stuff. But uh, Andrew at Nexus.us is a, is a great way to get in contact with me, but I love um love the opportunity to be able to work with church leaders to help them find and focus their their God given vision. Cool. So it's Andrew at Nexus.us you said?
0: Yes, sir. Cool. All right. So Brooks, I think Brooks can put that in the chat and you can reach out to Andrew. All right, as we as we wrap up, I want to uh, extend an invitation for everybody. Uh, at Exponential we have a great opportunity to advance the kingdom all right, together this spring. Um, You can serve the churches in your city by hosting an exponential roundtable. So here we can see on the screen, we got a a slide, Um, you know, we've got, you can choose different topics. So you can choose for yourself, you know, what the topic of the roundtable will be for you and your church and your city. Um, And so if you're interested, um, go to multiplication.org slash host to find out how, you know what, what do we need to do in order to host a roundtable event. Usually, you know, 50, 100 people um, getting together around roundtables to discuss working together, kingdom collaboration to reach your city with the gospel. So, well, thank you, Andrew, for joining us. And those of you who joined us online, we appreciate you coming. We'll be back on in a couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about building a launch team, you know, building a launch team specifically from scratch. You know, when you go into a new neighborhood, you go into a new context and you don't know many people, how do you build a launch team uh, in that context? That's what we can talk about in a couple of weeks. So we will see you guys then.